0: So it's been 20 years since I graduated from high school. This past spring, we should have had our 20-year reunion, uh, but the Rona had a different plan. (laughs) We didn't get together uh, for obvious reasons, but it's been cool to keep up with my friends from high school on social media. Let me just tell you, a lot has changed in 20 years. Uh, And I'm not just talking about other people, myself as well. It's crazy all the things we've gone through. Uh, You know, many of us have gotten married, some for the second, third, Fourth time, you know, a lot of things, careers, children, uh, varying time spent in prison, just depending on how life went. And it's really crazy to see how over time things change. And it's really cool to, to meet people and, and watch them. And and the the thing about change is the better you know somebody, the more you can notice the change. Surely you've walked up to a friend and gone, hey, is that a new haircut you know, it looks good on you. Or maybe you got some new shoes or... Bill, you lost a little weight there. You're looking good. Over time, we can see the before versus the after, and we can see the change. And I start that that this morning because um, we're talking about a character today from the New Testament of the Bible, the book of Acts, who goes through a major change. In fact, I don't think change is strong enough a word. The word is really transformation, Transformation, a total makeover, a complete adjustment. In fact, our focus word for today is the word transformation. We're in this teaching series to the book of Acts when God sparks a movement. And we've been studying uh, all through the book. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and flip over to the book of Acts. We'll be in chapter nine today. The story of Acts is the story of how God uh, used a small group of people to start a movement that has basically changed the world. It's the story of how the church began Uh, The book of Acts is is fairly long. There are 28 chapters. In fact, I'd like to make a correction. A few weeks ago, I said that Acts had 26 chapters. That was a misspeak on my part. And so it's actually 28. But in the 28 chapters that we have, uh, we wanted to kind of boil it down to a concise, memorable thing. So instead, we're focusing on eight sections. And in each section, we're giving it a a focus word, a memory word that kind of highlights what that section is all about. And so uh, just kind of as a review, maybe you've been watching, you can kind of uh, talk back to me from home. I'll be your Alex Trebek and you can choose Acts for 200. Uh, what What was week one? Remember week one, the word was wait. Okay, so that's the words we're doing. Okay, what's the second week? Helper. The third week we talked about Peter and John's boldness. And last week we built on their boldness and we met a guy named Stephen, and we got pretty deep. We talked about persecution, Persecution. And we talked about the state of the church today around the world and how Christians have uh, lived through persecution. Uh, today, our word is transformation. If you missed any of those weeks, please go catch up on it on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, youtubecom join the venture. Um, but we're going to be in chapter nine today as we continue, and we're going to meet a guy that got a little cameo last week. His name is Saul. Saul. So Acts chapter nine, go ahead and open that up. And uh, before we start reading, I want to give you three little nuggets of detail about Saul. Okay, here's your first little nugget of detail. Your first little nugget of detail is this. You'll see that his name is Saul. You'll also see him called Paul. What's that about? Uh, Well, it's actually a couple of good reasons for this. First, it was very common for a Jew in the first century living under uh, Roman authority because they were a, a Roman you know, occupied area for them to have a legal name that included a name of Jewish heritage as well as a more uh, Roman name. And so Paul's full, maybe official legal name was something like uh, Paulus, Saulus or Saulus Paulus. I don't know the order, Uh, but basically it was was a Roman name. It was a Jewish name and it really worked out well for him. Um, But also names are significant in the Bible for a lot of reasons. And we see people in the Bible who go through like a name change uh, and, and because they've had a significant encounter with God. I mean, some of the most notable examples would be like Abram. He begins being called Abraham. And you've got, uh, even his wife takes on a different name, Sarai becomes called Sarah. And you, you also meet uh, Jacob, who is later called Israel. Israel becoming the great father of all the Jewish people in addition with Abraham. And when they have this significant encounter with God, God kind of renames them. He dubs them a different name. That's not exactly what's happening with Paul here. Uh, he, he already had Paul as part of his name. But there's no question that because of a significant experience with God and an encounter specifically with Jesus, that going by a different name name made a lot of sense. And so uh, that's the first nugget of detail about his name. The second little nugget of detail uh, was that Paul was a faithful Jew and specifically a Pharisee. And the Pharisees were a very conservative, legalistic sect of Judaism, uh, specifically uh, very, very... um, very conservative and very concerned with rule following. Um, As a Pharisee, one of Paul's highest priorities and objectives would be to preserve the laws and the customs and even the extra rules of what the Pharisees stood for. And like many faithful Jews, Paul, especially as a Pharisee, he saw Christianity as blasphemous to their beliefs. And so as a leading Pharisee, he was also part of kind of a holy war to preserve the traditional Jewish faith. Which leads to our third nugget of, of detail, which is this, that Saul was on a mission to destroy the church. That was his goal. And he wasn't just some vigilante either. He worked as an official authority of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, he, he was like a hitman. He actually had, hit, uh, he had uh, legal papers saying that he was uh, authorized to go out and basically he had permission to extradite and punish followers of Jesus, especially those who had kind of scattered from Jerusalem. Last week, we talked about the stoning of Stephen and in his martyrdom, a lot of believers left the city. And so it was Saul's job to go hunt them down and punish them. And many of them were killed by his orders and then possibly at his hand. So with that as a background, okay, are some nuggets about Saul. We pick up his story of transformation. Acts chapter nine, starting at verse one. It says. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters from the synagogue, letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the Way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So Jesus' followers at this time they weren't called Christians. They uh, that came later at this time their their nickname was the Way. Okay, but. Uh, This is a cool name for Christians and I kind of like it. It It's probably based on something that Jesus said. I imagine he said it more than this time, but in John chapter 14, Verse 16, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. And so that idea of Jesus being the way uh, really resonated with them to the point where that was the name they adopted. And many followers of the way, like I said, had scattered from Jerusalem to surrounding areas and one city that they went to was Damascus. And so Paul, uh, Saul rather at this point wants to go hunt them down in Damascus. But something happens that day. To Saul. So let's check this out. It's going to change everything. This is now verse three. It says, As he entered Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him and he fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up. And go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Wow. I mean, talk about getting a message from God. I mean, This is like an audible voice from God, this time in his manifestation as Jesus. And Paul has made it his life's mission to stop people from saying that Jesus rose from the dead. To stop people from saying that Jesus appeared to me. To stop people from teaching what Jesus taught. And now here, boom. Jesus himself just shows up. Why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, how long you been standing there, Jesus? You know, you've been watching this whole time? He's got some thinking to do and he's got some processing to do. And so he's stunned. And so were the people that were there with him. He was traveling with some companions. Verse seven says, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see anyone, which must've been really weird. Saul got up from the ground. But when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days, he was blind and he did not eat or drink anything. So Saul spends this, this three days in virtual isolation. I mean, he, he's killed people for believing in Jesus. He'd done horrible things, convinced that he was right in doing them. But now what? I mean, I've heard... Jesus, the risen Jesus has appeared to me. So while he's in this state of of shock and, and contemplation, we get to meet somebody else. Uh, We we meet this guy named Ananias. And I'm going to summarize a few verses here. Basically, Ananias was a follower of Jesus. He lived in Damascus. And when he heard that Saul was coming to town, well, he wasn't real excited about that. He was a little bit anxious, as you can imagine, because Saul had quite a reputation. Uh, He would actually be involved with killing people like Ananias. And so Ananias wasn't real excited to see Saul, but God speaks to Ananias. And basically God tells Ananias, I want you to go visit Saul and talk to him naturally. Ananias is like, God, I'd I'd really rather rather not do that. If it's all right with you, I would really prefer not to have to go speak to Saul, but God gives him an answer. Verse 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So Ananias goes like you should when you hear the voice of God. What God is saying about Saul here is, is pretty incredible. And it must've sounded like absurd to Ananias. I mean, remember, this is a guy with blood on his hands. This is a guy who rejected Jesus. This is a guy, like, I don't mean to be sensational when I say this. So I want you to really hear what I'm about to say. Th- this would be like suggesting that a current KKK leader now go and stand and link arms in a Black Lives Matter, you know, rally somewhere. And everyone would go, that would never happen. Like that... But that's essentially what what is being suggested here. And Ananias is the guy who's supposed to go talk to this guy, Saul. He doesn't want to do it, but he does. Verse 17, Ananias goes into the house and he enters it. And I want you to picture an empty room. And I want you to picture Saul sitting there, maybe cross-legged on the floor. Maybe it's dim. Maybe there's just a little bit of light coming through a, a cracked curtain. And he's not this full of himself, arrogant guy that maybe Ananias expected to meet. He's a broken man. He's been for three days not eating or drinking. He's probably been crying. He probably has been in deep contemplation and prayer. And so Ananias walks in, says, placing his hand on Saul. He said, brother Saul. I just, the reason I explained what he looked like was because I think it's really interesting that Ananias calls him brother Saul. Like before he got into the house, he was maybe scared of this guy. But after he sees the state of him, anyway, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me to you that you may may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And so he got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Something has happened to Saul on this day. It's been three days. He's been reflecting on everything that Jesus said. He's been reflecting on the life that he's lived. And this is, this is what's crazy. He has decided that he was wrong about Jesus. And the helper, the Holy Spirit has come along and I'm sure nurtured his soul and began to guide him as he always does. And like, like every other conversion experience that we see in the book of Acts, he gets up and he's baptized into Jesus And then we see the transformation take place. This last little section is is huge and telling. Okay, starting at the second half of verse 19, it says, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. So he's hanging out with the other Christians and they're sitting there like, "Uh, is he cool? And Ananias is like, yeah, he came with me, he's fine. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the son of God and all those who heard him were astonished. And they asked, isn't this the guy? who was raising havoc in Jerusalem among those who call call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priest? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Messiah. This, This transformation, it didn't make Saul just a little bit different It made him the opposite of who he was before. Transformation. You know, Saul has been the ultimate enemy of the gospel up until this point. Literally a terrorist. Uh, He was persecuting and killing the believers and the followers of the way. But once Saul meets Jesus, he becomes the most active Christian missionary to ever live. Uh, He's known as the apostle Paul. He writes these letters of instruction to the church uh, as as he begins to spread and and plant churches. And and he writes so many letters, 13 of his letters survive today in our Bibles as part of our holy scriptures. The books Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. These are major teaching books. Saul's transformation goes from being a legalistic Pharisee on a mission to destroy the church to a single-minded, focused missionary whose biggest goal, as one of the most prominent founders of Christianity outside of Jesus, is to spread the gospel as far and as wide as possible. How does this happen? It's transformation. Paul talks about it himself uh, in a couple of passages that come to mind in 2 Corinthians 5.17, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Paul said this, he says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. And in Romans 6.4, Paul also says this, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. It's no wonder people started calling him Paul after this because the old Saul that they used to know, he is no more. There's a new man standing here on this day. So what happened to Paul that changed him so dramatically? What went down on him? Well, it's not a secret. Paul wrote about it all over the place. Read the books that he wrote. Uh, Saul met Jesus. That's what happened. And when Saul met Jesus, he learned that God's love brings God's grace through Jesus, through Jesus. It was grace. Grace is getting a free pardon that you do not deserve. It's equivalent to, you know, you're you're speeding, you get pulled over by a police officer and they simply give you a warning without giving you a ticket. You didn't deserve it. You, You were dead to rights, you broke the law. Grace. And this is what led to the transformation of Paul, God's grace. Skeptics of Christianity have tried to use the conversion of Paul as a place where we could poke holes in Christianity and maybe break down its reliability. I mean, if you could debunk the reliability of Paul and and especially uh, prove him to be unreliable and, and his transformation didn't really happen, you could do a lot to hurt the faith of Christianity. You could, because so much of what we believe is based on things that he wrote. Uh, A lot of people set out to do that. One of my favorites is a guy named George Littleton, actually Lord George Littleton. Uh, He lived in the 1700s. He was an Oxford man. He was also part of the English parliament, a very learned guy. And he wasn't a believer in Christ at first. And he set out to disprove Christianity by showing, one of his main uh, kind of thesis tenets was to show that Saul, Paul's conversion was a hoax, that it wasn't real, that, that, that it was just a big show because uh, Paul was a fake and he did it all really to gain notoriety and power and get rich and get famous. Like that was his motivation behind it. And he, and he writes this paper, you can read it to this day. After he digs into the Paul story though, uh, Littleton came to some major realizations. He said that converting to Christianity for personal gain made no sense for Saul, what it actually did was put him in major danger because there were people like him who were out hunting people like the converted people. And not only that, but all the prestige and, and, and reputation that had come with Saul's previous position would have been gone. Everybody he respected, all of his network, all of his influence would be gone and, and wasted because then he would become their enemy. It's also true that as Paul traveled, he never gained any wealth. He doesn't get rich off the gospel. In fact, we find out that he works his way through his missionary work. He he is a, a, a tent maker is what they call it. He worked in leather and he did different things. And from town to town, he would simply work his way through. Even though he said in some of his writings, listen, I, I have a right and an ability to ask you guys to support me, but I don't want you to think I'm in this for wrong motives. Littleton digs in a lot and he comes to the conclusion that there is no rational reason for Paul to have chosen to become a follower of Jesus just for personal gain. Maybe the other apostles had some sort of an agenda. You know, they spent a lot of time with Jesus. Maybe they wanted to save face for whatever reason, but not Paul. It wouldn't have done him any good. By the way, George Littleton became a Christian. And he was so convinced by the transformation of Paul that it caused him to receive his own transformation. And you can read the paper. Uh, It's old school. It's about 120 pages long. You can Google it uh, and you can find it. Or if you want to reach out to me, I can try to shoot you a link to it. It's interesting. Before the road to Damascus, Saul had been trying to earn his way into God's love. He wanted to legalistically follow every rule. He, He zealously forced other people to do the same. He hoped that by doing all the right things, God would see that and honor him. But after he met Jesus, and he learned that God was willing to come to earth and give his own life and connect him back to God, that God loves us and God that wants to be with us. When he learned that there's nothing that he can do to make God love him more, let alone something someone could do to make God love them less. When Paul learned about grace, it was transformative. See, grace leads to transformation. When you experience grace, it leads to a natural change. I want to give you an example from my own life. And this is just anecdotal. It's a metaphor, but check this out. So after Hurricane Florence, I spent a lot of time holding a chainsaw. Uh, If you remember, I mean, it was a really bad storm. And so uh, Venture Church... uh, Started Dart ILM with some other people. And we, we spent a lot of time on chainsaws at first before we started doing everything else. And I was feeling pretty good about my chainsaw skills. I mean, I was involved in cutting down all kinds of trees and chopping up debris. And uh, the more I got into it, the more confident I was in my chainsaw skills. And one day... I started getting a little too comfortable, okay? So I was working on some bushes, actually, this time in my yard, kind of trimming them up, and I got in there, and and my arms were tired, and as I was working, the chainsaw went down, too low, too low. One of the teeth of the chain itself snags on my loose-fitting work pants and just snatched, okay? And then this really strong, fast-moving engine pulls towards my leg, Luckily, I was able to let go of the throttle and it died quick enough and I dropped it and I walked away and there was a huge rip in my my pants right above my kneecap. That will wake you up. <laughs> That'll teach you how to pay attention when you're holding a powerful tool. Um, thank goodness I didn't get a scratch. No damage whatsoever. But I kept the work pants. So... This past week after the hurricane, I'm working uh, in my neighbor's yard. I was helping to chop up some wood in his yard. And, and he's an older man and like the good person and wiser old person, older than me person than he is. He said, uh, he said, hey, be careful with that chainsaw. And I said, yes, sir. I will be careful with that chainsaw. And then I told him the story about well, a couple years ago, blah, blah, blah. I tore my pants. And he said, really? And he was just kind of you know, shocked by it. I said, you know what? I kept that pair of pants uh, and I wear them when I work a lot. And they keep me humble and we laughed about it, but it's true because what type of fool would I have been to, who, to, to have learned this valuable lesson? I got the get out of jail free card. I didn't cut a major artery and have to go to the emergency room and maybe lose my leg. I got, I got grace. And for me to have experienced that and then not learned a single lesson, not have had transformation, grace should lead to change. Grace should lead to transformation when we realize how much God has spared us by his grace, the bullet that we have dodged because of Jesus, it should change something inside of us. Not only that, because it's not all on us. It's not all on us. God moves into our life. We've talked about the helper. When we accept Jesus into our life, the Holy Spirit moves and he begins to supernaturally, as he moves in, he begins to work on us on a spiritual level Ironing things up, helping us grow, and as you learn to live the Jesus way day by day, renewing your mind from the old stuff, rinsing it out, and allowing your mind to be filled uh, with, with the good things that Jesus has for us, when you learn to put God's two greatest commandments into practice, to love other people and to love God, and to do both of those with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, it begins to work on you. It begins to change you. And transformation starts to happen. Check this out. Bitterness that you used to have and that consumed you is transformed into a forgiving attitude. And jealousy that has been eating you up slowly transforms into contentment, dirty thoughts and temptation and simple things that you used to be drugged into suddenly become undesirable and you don't want those things anymore. And you start to long for the pure goodness of God and you hunger for his word and you hunger for his righteousness. Jesus transforms selfish people into generous people. He makes uh, stupid, foolish people make wise decisions. He can mend our brokenness and make us whole. That's transformation. The story of Paul is a story of every person who comes into contact with the knowledge of God's grace and puts their faith in Jesus. Jesus will change you. And don't let that scare you because it's good change. I've seen it in my life, I've seen in the lives of so many people that I love and it's mind blowing what God can do in the life of a person who submits to him. That's the message of acts, That's the message of the story of Saul, Paul. It's the message of every person who is willing to fully submit in faith to what Jesus can do in their life. I wanna invite you to be transformed today. You know, the story of Paul is interesting because on the one hand, if, if you feel like, man, I am just too bad for God to transform. I've done too many bad things and I'm just too far from God. Dude, let me introduce you to my friend, Paul. The guy was a murderer, (laughs) okay? It's it's, it's likely you haven't done things worse than him. Yet transformation happened in that man's life and he was able to change the world simply by being obedient. And so that's on the one hand, but on the other hand, maybe you just like, you know what? I'm I'm good. I'm good. I'm following all the rules. I've been doing church for so long. Guess what? Dude, have you met my friend Saul? (sighs) The guy... The guy was following all the rules. He thought everything was right, but he didn't understand mercy and justice and grace of God. And he met Jesus and it changed him. We need Jesus, no matter what end of the spectrum you're on. If you've been thinking about becoming a Christian, let today be your day. Let's do like, let's do like Saul. Let's have the scales fall off of your eyes. Let's meet at the beach and have a baptism. Let's celebrate new life as the Holy Spirit moves in and starts to change you and work in you and rearrange your priorities, your goals, your passions. Maybe that's you today. Will you reach out? You don't need to do this alone. I know we're doing this digitally right now, but you know, in the next few weeks, we've got a couple chances to get together. Come and meet with somebody. Shoot us a message on Facebook. Make a comment right now. If you're in the room with somebody else right now who knows a little bit about it, start the conversation. Let the transformation begin. The evidence of the power of Jesus is the transformed life. The evidence of the power of Jesus is the transformed life. Let's pray together this morning.